0: Well, good morning. morning. It's always a, a good day to be in the house of the Lord. As Brother Mike was saying, all of the songs that we've been singing up to this point have been concentrated on one specific theme, and that is serving our God. And many times we think about what a servant of God ought to look like, and there is a, a picture we get in our minds of a specific individual, or maybe a preacher, or a missionary, or something of that sort. And we often think that it's not up to us to do it, that someone else can come after us and, and meet the need, and to serve God in such capacity, and someone else can, can take care of the matter that's at hand. And the passage we're going to be looking at here this morning from... 1 Corinthians chapter 1, I invite you to turn with me at this time to this passage, is going to show us that God can use absolutely anyone, regardless of who you are, regardless of your upbringing, regardless of how well you can speak, regardless of how much training you have or how much education you have, God can use absolutely anyone. Some people do not have the gift of gab. They can't stand in front of a group of people and speak. Um, I have that problem. Uh, I don't know what it is, but God has not given me eloquence in speech. Uh, And if you saw my notes, and I I manuscript my notes, which I I write out everything that I plan on saying. It's all here. Uh, I've got a hundred pages here this morning. No, I don't. Uh, But it's all here. And if you looked at my notes, anyone who is has any sort of proficiency in English or grammar, you'll cringe when you look at my notes because, I'm sorry, the Lord has not blessed me that way, so you'll have to deal with my broken English, you'll have to deal with me making up words at times, and all my run-on sentences and grammatical errors that I'm going to have, but somehow, God still uses a person like me. God uses absolutely anyone and everyone. The biggest thing that God is looking for is just availability. He's looking for you regardless of where you are, who you are, for you to be available, to be used by God. So this morning as we'll look at this passage, and I hope the songs we've sung have kind of brought us into that mindset. That we're in the service of the King, that we're saying to the Lord, here I am to be used by you. I hope that that's what we're thinking as we look at this passage here in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. The verses we'll be looking at are verses 26 through 31 1 Corinthians 1, 26-31 in a sermon that I've titled Just the Way You Are. Just the way you are. God is able to use you just the way that you are. Were any of you growing up, and some some of you have to think way back, way, way, way back, but any of you in high school, were any of you an All-American in anything in high school? No? No? (laughs) Okay. Okay, all right, maybe not. Were any of you voted most likely to succeed? I'm going to another church. Okay. um, This really isn't working at all. Uh, I need someone to actually raise their hand. Uh, Don't lie to me, but were any of you publicly recognized for some great achievement. Any achievement. Alicia? Okay, thank you. Thank you. Some of you? Okay. All right. A few hands went up. I'm not going to ask what the achievement was at this point. I don't even care. Hands went up. That's all I'm looking for. If you answered yes to these questions, I have really good news for you. God can still use you. God can still use you, even if you answered yes to these questions, even if it takes a little more effort to do so. For those of you who have done nothing noteworthy, which is the majority of us, God delights to use you as well. Maybe you've won nothing in life except what they're giving out nowadays, a participation trophy. God has great plans to use you and to use you for his glory. In fact, what we're going to see this morning as we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1 is that God prefers to use those people who are more ordinary in the eyes of the world. We tend to think down on ourselves when we don't get that recognition, when we don't get that encouragement from our peers or from the people in the world. But the truth of the matter is that the only one we really need to impress is God. God has gifted every single person uniquely. And he has a specific purpose for you, the way you are, to bring glory and honor to him. And many times that involves you doing something that the world doesn't hold in high regard. We will often trivialize or minimize our task or our position because maybe we don't make a lot of money or we're not shown a great amount of appreciation or there isn't a whole lot of recognition in the work and the field that we're we're serving God. And this can easily lead to feelings of discouragement, even lead to feelings of a a low self-worth. We feel invisible at times to everyone around us, even though the people around us depend on the things that we do to make sure that they're taken care of. But to them, often it's like we don't exist. We may go through seasons where we feel depressed, where we feel insignificant, where we feel completely alone. We feel as if everyone else in life has a purpose except for us, and everyone else seems to pass us by, and sometimes they don't even notice when they've passed us by. And if this is you, if you've ever felt this way, where you felt alone, where you felt ignored, where you felt that everyone else has a purpose in life except for you, if you're maybe feeling this way today, I have good news for you. Because you're just the person that God is looking to use. Take a look at what the Bible says here in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verses 26 through 31. For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh... Not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty, and base things of the world, and things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not, to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. Whether we realize it or not, God prefers to use those who are often viewed as invisible, or not viewed rather. If we're tasked to choose, if God came to us and he said, okay, I'm going to ask you, to go back in time, but you need to choose 12 men that are going to serve as my only begotten son's disciples. How would you go about choosing? You would definitely never have chosen the 12 men that Jesus chose. We would have taken some time deciding who was a worthy candidate to serve as one of Christ's disciples. We probably would have come up with a whole list of set qualifications and requirements that we're looking for in a specific disciple. Looked at many resumes, maybe conducted a number of interviews, and examined the skills of every single person that was presented before us. We would make assessments on how we felt each candidate uh, handled the interview and, and how they would bring value to the small group of people that would be concentrated around Jesus and around the work that he was called to do. Now, we do the same thing today when we think about the people that God would use. We think that, God, that for God to use anyone, they need to be incredibly influential. They need to be incredibly intellectual. They need to be skilled in numerous different areas. And they need to be someone who has already contributed a great way to society. Many times we think this way because we're just lazy and we don't want to be used by God. So we know this eliminates us and it's going to bring someone else in the limelight. We don't want to do anything different than what we've already been doing. So in our minds, we come up with these lists of qualifications that God is supposedly requiring for anyone to be used in his service. And we make sure it doesn't include anything that we already meet. And as a result, we justify our inaction and our lack of service for God as we play into this worldly narrative that we're completely insignificant to anyone else we must also then be insignificant to God. We basically convince ourselves that we're not capable to serve God in any specific way because here are the set list of qualifications that God is looking for in a servant of His. And see, none of that matches up with who I am and what I offer. Then there are others who think that they can only serve God in one capacity. And if the church already has someone doing that, oh, I can only do this and there's already someone there doing it, so... I guess there's nothing for me to do here. They chalk it up as a sign from God that they weren't supposed to do anything at all. I recently had a conversation with someone who felt this way and was wanting me to be proud of the fact that he recognized what he felt God was wanting him to do even though he was doing nothing about it. When God has called you to do something, when God has equipped you to minister in some capacity, when God has gifted you the opportunity to serve, don't look for excuses on why you can't. The greatest quality that God is looking for is availability. But more believers are doing everything they can not to be available. One of the worst excuses that I've heard is when people try and insist that they're too humble to serve. Are you kidding me? I'm too humble to serve. God's looking for someone better than me. I'm not equipped to serve in such a capacity. Really, I was just asking to see if someone could wash windows. Others are far more talented than me to do that. I could never do anything right. I just serve God in my poor, little, and weak way. I'm far too humble to do this. I honestly don't know why we let so many outside influences dictate how much we do or don't do for Christ. Why should what someone else is doing have anything to do with what we should be doing to serve the Lord? Just because there are others who are stronger, who are wiser, who are more capable than us, doesn't mean that God still cannot use us. As if God made a mistake when he created us because we're not able to do as much as the next person. Therefore, we need to sit back into the shadows and we just need to live out the rest of our days in solitude without doing a thing for Christ and without lifting a finger to help him in his service at all. In fact, this is exactly what Satan wants you to think. He wants you believing that you are completely unworthy to serve God in any capacity at all and that such work should be left to those that are highly skilled and qualified. You're definitely not that. So don't worry. God has his people that he's going to do. You just need to sit back and relax. The sad part is that our unworthiness was never the issue. You're never worthy to be used by God. That's the reality of it. None of us are ever worthy to even preach God's word. He's not looking for people that are worthy. He's looking for the people that are available and willing to be used by him. Your unworthiness was never the issue. Satan is right. None of us are worthy to serve Christ and to be the ones that are bringing his blessed gospel of grace and truth to the world. But God uses us anyways. He uses us anyways. Our unworthiness is never a barrier to serve Christ because Christ equips us to do what he's called us to do. You are, and unfortunately, Satan uses this mindset, though, to attack the home more than anywhere else. You are as much serving God when you look after your children, when you train them up in the fear of God, when you mind the house, when you cook the meals, when you do the laundry, and you make your household a God-honoring place. You are as much serving God when you're doing that As if you would be if God called you to lead his army into battle. Satan does some of his best work destroying homes by convincing mothers that they are of little value. Little value to God because they are seemingly insignificant outside their own homes. This lie, and it is a lie, it is so damaging. Because without God-fearing mothers this world would be a whole lot worse than what it is right now. God-fearing mothers are inflicting so much damage to the cause of Satan because they're raising boys and girls in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And the more those children are free from the wicked influences of the world, the more they're growing up to live for Christ. The chain reaction that happens with boys and girls being raised under the teaching of the gospel, it's limitless. limitless. If there's anything we need more of today is to teach our children the truth of God's word and to shelter them from the wicked influences that are out in the world all around us. Any child, any child that we can rescue from the hands of the devil is one more instrument in the master's hands that can potentially influence more people to follow after Christ. I don't care what Christ has called you to do. Your service for him is never in vain. It's never in vain. You may not receive the praise and all the accolades of men, but God has rewards for you that I promise you far outweigh any sort of recognition or award that anyone here on earth is ever going to give you. Don't ever shortchange what God has called you to do. The world doesn't dictate what value you have to God. People don't dictate what value you have to God. The truth is that none of us are truly anything at all. But when God takes something that is useless, like us, He makes us into something useful for his purposes. He's just looking for willing vessels. My question to those believers who think they're unworthy, unworthy to serve the Lord is, what makes you think that you are not useful to God when he has decided to take up residence within you? Obviously, he sees something in you that no one else sees, and he is also able to equip, to strengthen, and prepare you for whatever service that he has called you to do. God has a wonderful plan for each of his children, and though some of our work may look like foolishness to those that are in the world, God takes that foolishness and he transforms it into something so valuable. Look back at verse 18 here in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and notice what the Bible says. It says, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. This is how backwards of a world that we live in that the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is foolishness to the world that is lost and going to hell. What sense does this make? God is bringing good news through the preaching of the cross and the world looks at it as if it's foolishness. It is literally a lifeline. A way of escape from the tortures of eternal damnation and hell and the world thinks it's ridiculous. This is how backwards of a world we live in. The one solution to man's greatest problem is looked upon as foolishness. Why should it then surprise us that any of our service to God be looked upon as foolishness or worthless? If the world can't even accept the very gospel message that brings salvation to all who believe in it, they're never going to see what you're doing for God as being significant. They're never going to understand why you insist on raising your children the way you do in the knowledge of God and sheltering them from the wickedness and foolishness of the world. They're never going to understand it. God uses that which is weak, which is unworthy, and then God adds to them his power and his wisdom. The reason God does this is explained for us in verse 29. Look at what it says in verse 29. It says that no flesh should glory in his presence. We may be the dwelling for the Holy Spirit, but it is God who gets all of the glory. Now, first of all, what I want you to notice is the qualifications of what God is looking for. The qualifications God is looking for. Look at verses 26 through 28. The Bible says, For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And base things of the world, and things which are despised, hath God chosen, yea, in things which are not, to bring to naught things that are. The qualifications God is looking for. As you read these verses, it's almost embarrassing to see what qualifications God has chosen to use. He starts off by saying that he has chosen the foolish things, he says. Throughout the book of Proverbs, we have the foolish man and the wise man that are contrasted. And you don't need to be a rocket scientist to know the foolish man and the wise man and which of these two is better. It's not that God is telling us here in 1 Corinthians 1 that he prefers us to be foolish, but that the wisdom of the world gets in our way of serving him. There are plenty of people who are wise in this world. They're the smartest people in every room. And many believe that they're smarter than the Bible and thus don't need to do what the Bible instructs. God is looking for people who want to be used by Him. And being used by Him insists that we're submitting ourselves under God's authority. Foolish refers to those who are not as wise. Those who are dull or even sluggish. Now, all these years you were wondering if God would ever use you because you didn't finish at the top of your class and you weren't voted the most likely to succeed and you have no PhD and you have no college degree and you've just barely graduated high school and that was even a challenge for you to do so. You're just what God is looking for. You are just what God is looking for. Welcome to the Club of Fools. So glad you joined us. I've been a part of it for a while now and I'm thrilled that you're... Here with me. The next qualification God is looking for is mentioned in verse number 27. Again, it says, But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. For those that are weak. The idea here being that those who are physically weak, even those who have physical impairments, A lot of people dismiss themselves from the service of God because they don't feel strong enough or capable enough to do anything of noteworthiness or value in their eyes to God. You don't need to be the world's strongest person to serve God. Some people think they're too old or too weak to do anything, when in reality, that's just an excuse. Regardless of your age, there is still so much you can do to serve the Lord. You may not be able to lift a piano over your head, But you can write letters to those who need a word of encouragement. You can pick up the phone and call someone and remind them that you're praying for them. You can bake cookies and drop them off at someone's house. You can take someone out to lunch and find out specific things that you can be praying for in their lives. There are literally endless things you can do in the service of God for those that think that you don't have enough strength to do it. God uses the foolish. He uses the weak. And third, He uses the base. Look at verse 28. It says, and the base things of the world. Maybe you don't come from a wealthy family. Maybe you weren't born with a silver spoon in your mouth. But God still delights to use everyone. Some of us had a very challenging upbringing. Some of us come from poverty or close to it. Some of us probably grew up on the wrong side of the tracks. Don't allow the labels of the world to convince you that you're not fit to serve Christ. God uses even those from the wrong side of the tracks. And then as you read on in verse number 28, notice the next qualification. It says, and base things of the world. And it says, and things which are despised. Those who are despised. There are a lot of people that are just completely written off by the world. Quite honestly, it's not just the world that is guilty of this, but Christians are guilty of writing other Christians off. We're guilty of turning our noses up to certain people or looking down on them. And this can be for any number of reasons, none of which are right. Maybe you're here today and you know exactly what I speak of because you spend all your days ignored by those around you. Well, you're not ignored by God. In fact, you are just the person that God is looking to use. The last qualification mentioned in verse 28 is those that are not. It says, And base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and the things which are not, to bring to naught things that are. These are the people who aren't just ignored, but they're basically invisible. To everyone else around them. These people are so invisible, they don't even get despised or even looked down upon. They don't even get looked at at all. They're not even viewed good enough to be looked at or despised. The foolish, the weak, the base, the despised, and the not. What appears to be a laundry list of nobodies is actually the list of qualifications that God says he's looking for in people that he wants to use. One of these descriptions may have described you perfectly. You, your name may never appear in a church bulletin. It may never appear in a newspaper. It may never appear on the headlines of any news, uh, news broadcast. It may never be anything that's utterly, otherwise noteworthy in the eyes of the world. No one may talk to you in church or really anywhere else. In fact, most people don't even know your name. You might consider yourself completely insignificant. You might think of yourself as an absolute nobody. But the truth is that though everyone else may dismiss you, everyone else may ignore you, everyone else may despise you, you're special to God just the way you are. People may not talk about you a whole lot, whether for good or bad, but God intends on you appearing on the headlines in heaven. If I asked you to give me a list of qualifications that you thought God would be looking for to get all of his work done here on earth, these would be the last things that we mentioned here in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. But this is exactly what God is looking for. He is looking for ordinary, everyday people who are just making themselves available to be used by God just the way they are. And exactly where they are. So we've seen the qualifications, but secondly, I want you to take a look at God's plan. Let's take a look at God's plan. Again, look at verse number 26, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse number 26 as we see God's plan. For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh and not many mighty and not many noble are called. Notice first that it doesn't say no wise men are called, but it says not many. The reason for so few wise men of the world is because most of them are unwilling to submit themselves under the authority of Christ. The Apostle Paul was one of these few wise men of the world. He was one of the brightest minds of his time, and he was incredibly wealthy. He had achieved some of the highest positions in the religious world and was very well educated. Paul knew, though, that no matter how educated he was, it wasn't worth anything apart from Christ. But notice secondly, Now, though God may not be looking for those who are particularly wise in the world, He isn't looking for lazy and half-hearted people either. Just because God gives a, a laundry list of qualifications that we may never have expected Him to list, foolish, weak, base, despised, and not, doesn't mean that He's looking for those who are lazy and those who are prone to procrastinate, those who are stubborn, those who are arrogant. No! God is looking for those who are diligent. God is looking for those who are willing. God is looking for those who are eager to serve. If you want to teach or preach God's word and you don't know much about the word of God, you better start studying and keep studying. A preacher in Pennsylvania was known for being an expert fox hunter. An old Quaker said to him one day, he said, If I were a fox, I would know just where to hide where you would never find me. And where is that? inquired the preacher. In your study, the Quaker replied. You might be singing in the choir and not have the best voice, but it should be your desire to make your voice sing the best it can for the glory of God. You may not be the strongest or the smartest, but what God is looking for are those who apply every ounce of energy within them to bring honor and glory to Him. It has been well said, it doesn't take much of a man to be a Christian Just all there is of him. It doesn't take much of a man to be a Christian. Just all there is of him. There's not much in us, but God requires all of it. And third, understand that God is the one who is supplying each believer with the strength that we need to do what he has called us to do. God's not going to expect you to do all of what he's called you to do on your own. He will supply the strength and the wisdom to do it. God gives ordinary people his extraordinary power. So we've looked at the qualifications. We've looked at God's plan. But third, notice, look at the weak ones that God uses. The weak ones God uses. Look at verses 26 and 27 again. It says, For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound to confound the things which are mighty. It is remarkable to me that God would use those who seem utterly worthless. Take a look around this room. Go ahead. You can do it. Take a look around the room. If any of us were to appear on television later today, how many of us would be known by those that are watching their televisions? Are any of us famous? Are any of us... No, thank you. Any of us well-known to the the world? Other than Brother Henry, who's running for office, apparently. (laughs) Outside of us, if you're on television and someone from... The city, New York City is watching television and sees brother Dave McCoy on TV. Is he going to say, I know that man. Do you have any relatives in New York City? Okay. So there, there's probably not going to be any sort of recognition as far as the world recognizing us for doing anything noteworthy, for having any sort of significant achievement in this life. No one, and again, no offense to anyone here, but we're not exactly the who's who of New York State. Here in this sanctuary, beyond our family, beyond our our handful of friends, some of us are barely known to anyone else. As far as I know, there is no one here in this room that has done anything incredibly noteworthy in the eyes of the world. If people of nobility came into our church, if they might take a look around, they're going to think, you know what, I don't recognize anyone here. I don't see anyone that's done anything significant to contribute to society and, and, and the world as a, in general. They might view us as a small group of insignificant Christians and churchgoers. And, and you know what? That is just fine. Serving Christ is not about getting praise and recognition from men. Listen to what we're told in Colossians chapter 3, in verses 22 to 24. The Bible says, "...Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh." Not with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men, knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. God is looking for humble servants who will submit under his authority to receive his power. This way, God is the only one who always receives the glory. When the Jews returned to Jerusalem after they spent 70 years in Babylonian captivity, Nehemiah was charged with overseeing the construction around Jerusalem, specifically with rebuilding the wall around Jerusalem. Now, this is no small task. Rebuilding a wall is no small task. Uh, this wall was so crucial and just to the security of the city that they were building. And it needed to be the first thing that they they built essentially after the temple because they needed to have some sort of fortification to provide themselves some safety from the attacks from the enemies without. You would have thought that God would have chosen architects and engineers and the most skilled masons to lead the work effort. But as you read throughout the book of Nehemiah, you find that no such people were present. God used the average He used ordinary people. He used a a ragtag group of individuals to get the work there done building the wall around Jerusalem. People that didn't know the difference between a shovel and a, a rake. And these are the people God is using to build this wall. And you know what? If you go to Jerusalem now, there are remnants of that wall still standing. And it was a wall that wasn't built by masons and engineers and the most skilled craftsmen. It was a wall that was built by ordinary, everyday people like you and I. The wall, in fact, scripture tells us, was completed in 52 days. And portions of that wall are still standing today. And God did that. God chose the least skilled so that he would be the only one to receive the glory for the work. Had experts, as engineers and architects and masons, been called in to do the work, we would be praising their skill and their genius today looking at a wall that is still in pieces, still standing. God empowers the weak to do great things as they submit themselves to his service. Fourth, I want you to notice God's hand upon the base things. God's hand upon the base things. Look at verse 28 again. He says, and the base things of the world. The base things of the world. In Judges chapter 6, we read the story about a man named Gideon. Gideon was first called into action in a very unique way. We don't typically think of Gideon as being base. Because when we think of Gideon, we think about him and his army of 300 soldiers. And how they fought off the armies of the Midianites. And how they were just valiant in battle. But there is nothing significant about this man. He hadn't won any World's Strongest Man competitions. He wasn't famous for any military victories. He wasn't even well respected for his intellect. He was just an average Joe. He lived in a time where the nation of Israel was under great oppression at the hands of the Midianites. The Midianites were known for having powerful and fierce warriors. And Israel was outmatched by them in every way physically. It was so bad for Israel that the Midianites had basically run them out of their homes to the point that the Israelites were forced to live in dens and caves in the mountainside. They were basically hiding from the Midianites. They wanted to make sure that they couldn't be seen by the enemy. And one day while Gideon was threshing wheat, and the Bible says he was doing so in a manner that was hiding what he was doing from the if the enemy spies were watching. As he was threshing wheat one day, the Bible says the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and says this in Judges chapter 6, verse 12 and verse 14. The angel of the Lord says to Gideon, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. Go in this thy might, and thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. To which Gideon responds, Are you talking to me? Gideon must have looked over his shoulder. Certain that the angel was talking to someone else because he's thinking, mighty man of valor? Someone to save Israel? There's got to be someone else here that you're talking to, right? Because it's not me. I haven't done anything. Anything, he says. I'm not a mighty man of valor. I'm not the one you're looking for to save Israel. He says, do you even know who I am? He goes on to say... He says, in verse 15, he says, Oh my Lord, wherewith shall I save Israel? Behold, my family is poor in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. Gideon says, listen, with all due respect, you have the wrong house. I think you took a wrong exit. I think you meant to go somewhere else because me, who you're talking to, I'm not your guy. I'm not who you're looking to. He says, of all the tribes of Israel, Manasseh, we're the worst. We are the absolute worst. And he says, not to mention the fact that of the worst of the worst tribes, which I'm a part of, my family's the poorest of these tribes. You definitely are looking for someone else. And he says, and did I mention, I'm of the worst of the worst tribes. My family is the poorest, and I'm the runt of the litter. Come on. Someone set you up. Someone's pranking you. This is a joke, right? Where are the cameras? Because obviously, something has gone wrong. But Gideon was just the man God is looking for. A man base enough for God to display his glory through him. And if you remember the story, as Gideon gathered this great army, God kept cutting men off, dwindling the number down. Even As it started, Israel was already outmatched against the Midianites. And Gideon gathers his army, and God dwindles it down, dwindles it down, dwindles it down until there's 300 men. God took a nobody and made him a general over a group of nobody soldiers and used this ragtag group to defeat the Midianites. And God got all the glory. When we read an account like that, everyone is forced to acknowledge that God is real and that he employs the average, everyday person in his service. God's hand upon the base things. And fifth, what does this mean for us? What does this mean for us? There are several applications that we can make based on what God is looking for and who God uses. Look again at what it says in verse 29 of 1 Corinthians chapter 1 that no flesh should glory in his presence. First, God desires our humility. God desires our humility. God will not share his glory with anyone. There is no limit to what God can do through people who are humbly seeking to serve him. You can be sure that God is going to stop using you the moment you start taking credit for what he has done. God is looking for those who have humility. And notice second, verse number 30. It says, But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Remember who you are as a child of God. God is looking for those who are humble. And remember who you are as a child of God. As a believer, this verse very clearly states that you are in Christ. Don't ever insult God by suggesting that you cannot be used by Him. That God cannot use you. You think that you're taking the high road saying, Oh, you know, I'm I'm too humble to do that. God can use someone much more capable than me. You're insulting what God can do. God can use you. Yes, even you. To do whatever He needs done. Don't ever insult God by suggesting that He can't use you. You belong to him. He saved you through the finished work of his only begotten son. Do you think that he is not powerful enough to make salvation possible for you and yet not powerful enough to equip you for his service? How ridiculous is that? I'm pretty sure that the one who spoke the world into existence can easily handle the task of preparing and equipping even you for his service. Instead of questioning God's ability, start leaning on him and trust that he is more than capable to do in you what needs to be done. And third, respond to him in praise. Respond to him in praise. Look at verse 31. That according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. Respond to him in praise. We have every reason to continually be praising the Lord. It is such a blessing to be used by God just the way we are where we are. As much as we might think we're not fit to do anything for him, remember that God can use anyone who is willing. God will equip, God will prepare you for what he knows you to do. All we must do is to just trust in his ability. God is big enough, God is strong enough to take that which is foolish, weak, base, despised, and just not, outright ignored, and to make them all useful and valuable to him. Regardless of your age, regardless of your level of skill, regardless of how much or how little education you have, God is just looking for those who are willing to submit to his authority and trust that he can properly equip them to serve him and to bring him glory. You don't have to be strong enough. You don't have to be smart enough. You don't have to be educated enough. Just willing enough to rely upon the one who deserves all honor and all glory. Will you bow with me in prayer this morning? Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for a reminder of who you are. Lord, what qualifications you're looking for in us. Lord, I'm thankful for this list. As ridiculous as it sounds at times as we read through it, Lord, I'm thankful for this list because this is exactly where I find myself. Lord, foolish, base, despised, not. Lord, weak. All of these things I feel like Lord, our perfect picture of who we are. And Lord, while there are so many excuses that maybe we've come up with over the years to not serve you and to not, Lord, be a blessing to those around us in your name, Lord, I pray that we would realize that you've called us to bring you honor and glory the way that we are, where we are. Lord, may we answer your call. May we submit ourselves unto, unto your authority. And recognize, Lord, that the same God who made salvation possible is the same God, Lord, who can make us useful and valuable instruments as we yield ourselves over to be used in your hands. Guide us, Lord, in this journey of life. And Lord, may we lean upon you and trust, Lord, that you're going to equip us the more that we diligently seek after you. And Lord, as we do, may we always glory. In your name, in Jesus' name we pray, amen.